in the Pattern Podcast. Make left traffic, clear for the option. I'm John. I'm Chris. And I'm Mark. And we are the In the Pattern Podcast. Hello, and welcome to episode four of In the Pattern Podcast. I'm Chris, working on Aligning Kugels. Classic Amber tonight, and along with me again is uh, Mark and John. Say hi, guys. Hey, how's it going? Working on a nice lining Google Sunset Week here as well. And it's Mark, and I well, got a I got a Sunset Week going on too. So, got to be part of the party. <laughs> well, we got uh, episode three up, and here we are, ready to knock out episode four, which is good. So, all right, let's uh, get into this. Uh, see what we're doing this week, or talk a little bit about what we're do what we did this week. I had a little bit of fun uh, this past weekend. I didn't get to fly again, and I'll go into that here in just a little bit. But uh, uh, what I did do is uh, I got to go to to uh, the Deer Valley Airport where I fly out of, and they were having their annual uh, membership renewal picnic thing uh, out on the tarmac, which was cool. There's a lot of a lot of uh, nice airplanes out there. There was a there's a really cool uh, Tucano. It was all black. I don't know if you guys saw the pictures of it. Sweet airplane. Yeah, I did get to see the pictures. There's some pretty awesome stuff there, especially that Cirrus. Yeah, yeah. And that wasn't even part of it. That was just close by. I like the white and yellow Cirrus. That's pretty nice. I like that um, Cirrus. <laughs> yeah, I just I just read on Twitter just before we started this. Some guy some guy in uh, in New York has found a line on uh, renting a Cirrus for a hundred and thirty an hour. Wow. Oh my God, that's cheaper right. than what I rent a one seventy two for. <laughs> it's sick and wrong, man. How you get a serious even a, even the oldest SR twenty for that kind of money, right? I'm renting a nineteen ninety nine one seventy two SP for one forty five an hour. Wow. It's just I oh. Does <laughs> that just ruin your night or what? You're like, and you're you're not far from New York. <laughs> I'm moving to New York. Screw it. <laughs> It'd be worth the drive. Yeah, it would. <laughs> yeah, that'd be cool. Um, what, what, I don't know if we've talked about this before. Well, what, what are you paying, Mark, for the uh, Archer? I get a discounted rate. I'm right about a hundred, hundred and five an hour. And are and is both yours wet? Yes. Yes. The, okay. The, the normal rate on this plane is about a hundred, hundred and a quarter an hour. But uh, like I said, I get a discounted rate. I pay seventy five an hour for the Archer I fly, uh, but that's dry. I put my own fuel in, which it works out to probably about that. Well, I tell you right now, my average fuel bill for the hour flight has been under forty dollars. Wow! Um, but I I've been getting a smoking deal on fuel. They give, um, and I think it's mainly because, may, or it might be because the Archer is based there, and um, I also signed up uh, to have an account with uh, Cutter, so they've got my credit card on file and stuff. So they give me a they give me a, a discount. But uh, just kind of give you a, an idea. Um, when was one of my later flights here? Let's let's grab this one here. This was like November, seven point three gallons of fuel, and I paid three dollars and ninety two cents a gallon. It's pretty good. Pretty good price. Yeah, so I think my four fifty here. So my fuel bill was thirty one dollars and eighteen cents. Nice. Um, so like I said, it's somewhere between thirty and always, you almost always. Every time except for one has it been under forty dollars, and I pay seventy five bucks an hour for a two thousand and three Archer three. So pretty good deal. 
Now that is before you're doing cross countries. Yeah, yeah, I haven't. The <laughs> longest, yeah, the longest uh, I've flown so far has been I don't know 1.4 hours, I guess. Yeah. So. Cross country, it's definitely going to get more expensive. Actually, actually, you're probably going to get a better. It'll be a better rate uh, if you do like a two hour cross country because you're going to be at altitude, lean in and out, get a better you know gallons per hour rate. Yeah, the fuel burn wouldn't, wouldn't be too bad. That's for sure. Yeah. So. Now I was renting a um, when I was at, at Freeway my, when I when I started my training. I was renting initially at eighty nine an hour if you did the the block account with them. And it was normally renting at 99. However, those were early 80s 172Ps with mm. that. Now, they did have a Garmin 430 with ADSB in them, but it was still like steam gauges and everything else. But um, then when I moved to Martin State is when I started paying 145 an hour. But I am flying in a 99 or a... Lately, I've been almost exclusively in the, the 2000... Uh, I think it's a 2002 or a 2006 172SP. Hmm. Hey, one of the... One of the uh, one of the other interesting planes at at that Deer Valley uh, uh, membership renewal thing was this uh, old Luscombe that had a turbine in it. I saw that. <laughs> it was sick. Has this extended front end on it, and it, and it only had 150 horsepower. But it's a Luscombe, right? And it, it has a climb rate of 2,500 feet per minute. <laughs> wow! Oh man! Uh, it was for sale. Uh, and you crazy. didn't buy it? Why? Yeah, I don't know, huh? <laughs> I don't know if I could afford the fuel burn in that thing. True. Yeah, Jet A is a little expensive too. Yeah, it uh, it says it. it let's see, the cruise cruise at uh, fourteen thousand feet, fifteen gallons per hour, one hundred and seventy two miles per hour TAS. It's not bad for a little two seater, nineteen forties version vintage Luscombe. Interesting, interesting plane. But um, so I signed up and got my membership there, which is cool. Matter of fact, um, my buddy Dean bought my membership for me. He was going there to renew his, and so he paid for mine and then got his for half price, which was nice. Cool. And uh, saw some, like I said, some pretty interesting aircraft. Uh, saw a nice formation flight of a of a bunch of uh, what are they? The, uh, Yak 52s. There was like a four plane formation flight that flew over and then peeled off, and that was pretty much it for. For flights that we saw, everything else was pretty much static on the ground that people just brought over and, and displayed. But uh, I got a chance to actually talk to my instructor over the over the phone last week and, and get the real story as to what's been going on with the uh, airplane about, you know, I knew it was something with the prop. I didn't really know exactly what it hit or, or, or what happened. So she told me that uh, I don't know if it was someone renting the plane or if it was one of her students because it would be hard for me to believe that she got in the plane as well as him and had a prop strike like this. But what happened was whoever was in the plane or renting it or whatever forgot to move a four-foot orange rubber cone, you know, uh, that, that sits in front of the uh, prop of the airplane. So I don't know how you do your complete walk around of the airplane and miss that because it's usually right in your way of, you know, when you're inspecting the the, the, the um, spinner and, and the uh, prop and checking the oil, it's all right there. It's the first thing I notice when I walk up to it. It's the first thing that I touch and move out of the way. But it's a four-foot rubber cone, and whenever they did the brake check, you know, you give it a little throttle and hit the brakes to make sure they work. Well, <laughs> it struck the uh, struck the rubber cone, and of course they they stop it and you know put the plane back. And uh, there was a little bit of rubber scuff mark on the prop on the outside of one blade and the inside of another. But because it's a rental, um, it's required that uh, the whole engine has to get pulled. 
but you know it's it's safety so i suppose it, you know it, it's all for the best no matter what you know there was no they said there was no kind of rpm drops or anything like that and you can't see it once you're in the plane you know how the dashes are real high and you don't have a real good visibility directly over the nose so you know they whacked it and and uh, so that's that's where the engine the prop's been for the last month so they they had it sent out and uh and had the whole thing torn down and inspected and you know insurance covers all of that they were actually thinking about having the overhaul done because it had 1400 hours on the tack and so the tbo's at 2000 but when they tore it down and took a look at it they said it was super clean no issues whatsoever um i think they polished i don't know if, if she said it was the lifters or valves or one or the other and that's all they ever had to do to it and and that supposedly yesterday tuesday it would have been uh, back at uh, the airport at um, at Cutter where I rent it from. So, anyways, if all goes good Sunday, I'll finally be back in for Mike Alpha, and uh, hopefully, I haven't lost any of my touch and and uh, can you know do a do an hour's worth, which is about you know seven touch and goes, and make them nice and smooth, and and still get to uh, uh, solo the the flight after that. You know, if not, no big deal. I understand. I've I've been out of the seat for a while, so. I might need a, a couple lessons before that happens, but whatever she says, I'm good with. Uh, we still got to go over the uh, my pre-solo, um, so that's something that we got to cover this week, I guess, before uh, before that happens. What went on with you this week, John? Well, um, I did end up uh, getting a fly on, uh, I think it was Saturday. I, I ended up having to cut it short um, for, well, money reasons, and uh, also uh, I had a family thing come up, and... Um, so I, I ended up only getting an hour in. So because of that, we didn't start cross countries like uh, he was planning on doing. So we ended up just doing uh, some pattern work and uh, starting with uh, short field and takeoff and landings. And um, yeah, I think that was it. We did short field takeoff and landings. And then at one point, uh, my instructor was like, I want to feel some G's. And I was like, sure. And he's like, cool. So he, he t- takes controls on the last takeoff, pops it up, leaves it in ground effect gets up to like 95 knots and then just pulls back. I want to do that so bad. So bad. I've seen so many videos on YouTube like that. I want to try it. <laughs> yeah, but he didn't um we did it. I think he did it in 90 knots and afterwards he's like, "Oh, he's like, you didn't film any G's there, did you?" And I was like, "No, not really." He's like, "We'll have to do that again next time." <laughs> he's like, "I should have left it till it was 100 knots." Because maneuvering speed's That'd be cool. 105, so, you know. Uh, it was fun, though. So, we'll, we'll come back to the rest of that, that lesson later, but it was just really kind of, did a, did a few short field takeoffs and, and landings, and that was about it. He said, next time we go up, we're going to start cross-country planning, and it's time for me to really start thinking about that written test. Fun stuff. Yeah, I'm just hoping I can find the money to continue training now. <laughs> That's the only thing I've got right now, because I've been out for so long. And luckily, somehow, I've I've had all kinds of you know side work. I do computer side work all the time. Um, I shouldn't say all the time. I do computer side work as often as it finds me. And luckily, during all this downtime, I've had I've had plenty of it. So I've got a pile of cash waiting to hand it out if if I can get that plane. <laughs> so since uh, since you're solo, have you have you had uh, you know solo flights? Me no. Since then? Well, because this is my first. Um this was actually my first lesson since the solo, and um, I wouldn't have soloed anyway because there was um, it was pretty windy, it was pretty bumpy up there too. So I don't think you would have let me anyway. 
Um, and then I had to cut it short, so it was kind of like there wasn't time for it this time. Yeah. Uh, on your on your logbook, when he endorsed it, he would have uh, for your solo, he would have endorsed it with uh, a certain amount of crosswind. Yes, there's probably a, a ten knot. It's eight knot crosswind. Um, uh, because uh, Bright Aviation, where I um, where I fly out of, their their limitations are winds can't be any more than twelve knots, and the crosswind component has to be eight knots or less, and there can be no wind gusts. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of the limitations there, and I think we were looking at pretty close to that, and I think there might have even been a gust when we flew. I, I honestly don't remember, but um, I, I don't cool. think he would have sold me. I don't necessarily know. I would have would have wanted to solo. Especially after that no. lesson, but yeah, good good win to practice uh, your slip so and stuff like that. Yeah, but we were doing the short take short field takeoffs and landings, so it was um wasn't quite slipping, but we'd stay high for as long as we could, and then pull out the power at a thousand feet, drop all the flaps, and just rock it down to the <laughs> runway. Just dive for the deck. Well, you you mm-hmm. you wouldn't dive though; you'd actually keep the plane level, but it would um because you were going slower. It would just drop like a rock as far as your vertical you speed. Good, you had a good uh, headwind, or was it a crosswind? Uh, it was a little bit. It was a actually, it was a pretty decent crosswind. Now I think about it, mm. um, enough that the first one, I I got a little confused, and I don't know why, but for some reason, I think it was right when we got down there. Like I was I was working on trying to straighten it out, and I went the wrong way in the rudder at first, and then I was like, wait a minute, what the hell am I doing? So I corrected that, but then. I was um, too fast or something like that, and I, I just completely put the plane the opposite direction of what I wanted it to be. <laughs> In that situation, it was it was bizarre. But um, thinking about it too much instead of just doing it, I think that's what it was. And oh well, you learn. So that was that was my my lesson this week. See, I forgot to mention last week when I uh, was talking about my trip to Florida, the fancy flight. They took us this hangar that had a whole bunch of engines in it. Um, anything from World War One to even prior to that to, um, you know, DC-3, Merlins, I mean, all kinds of different engines. It was just this whole room, just hundreds of engines in it. And, um, you know, we sat down and they kind of gave us a little overview of what they all were and kind of did it in a, starting with this tiny little two-stroke engine that powered some plane, um, continuing on. And one of the interesting things was is they showed this World War One engine um, and he comes up, and it just looks like a radial engine to me. You know, probably a eight or nine cylinder. How about from World War One? And he's like, you know, you start it up, and you know, you're used to seeing you know the propeller spins and all that kind of stuff. He's like, but this engine also um, was a little different. It's a rotary engine. Um, he's like, when you think of rotary now, you think of the Mazda. Was it the Mazda eight? Um, right. He said, no, it's not quite. It's not quite like that. He's like, it's a um, rotary engine because the engine turns. Oh, yeah. Sop with camel? It, pretty much all of the World War One planes. So he's standing there, and he has his plane on a, uh, you know, it's standing up on this on a stand. Um, he's sitting there on a stand, and he's like, yes, the engine turns. And then he pulls the engine, and he rotates the engine around the, you know, axle where the propeller would attach to. And then... He's like, yeah, so he's like, so for those of you who are pilots and know what P-factor is, imagine this. The engine spinning at 2,000 RPMs right there with the propeller. Mm-hmm. And 
you know, I'm sitting there next to my girlfriend and I'm just sitting there and I just kind of like, you know, audibly like gasps, like, oh my God. <laughs> and she's like, what? And I'm like, you couldn't turn right. <laughs> and then the, the guy comes up, he's like, yeah, he's like, it, it literally like they would just let off, you know, right stick pressure and it would just immediately like dive left. <laughs> um, he's like, and they literally had to pull it to turn right. And I'm just sitting there thinking, oh my god, that would have been horrible. Because I'm having a hard enough time with Ray Rudder and P-Factor and torque, you know? Like, I can't imagine the torque on the engine rotating with the propeller. That would be ridiculous. Exactly. So it doesn't doesn't rotate in the opposite direction, huh? No, it doesn't. It rotates the same direction as the propeller. To to the left. um, Yeah, I I mentioned the Sopwith Camel because I think that's one one of the airplanes I remember it doing that. Yeah, mo- um, uh, he he said most of them did. It was kind of the engine of choice in World War One, and then he mentioned the fact he's like, "Well, think about it too." He's like, "The oil, um, you know, you can't use your standard closed circuit oil system here because it's all just going to go to the outside." Mm-hmm. You know, because of the uh, I'm probably going to use the wrong word centrifugal centrifugal force. Mm-hmm. There's two words centrifugal. One of them's right and one of them's wrong. Back to my physics days. Um, Centri. <laughs> Centri- centrifugal? Something like that. Like a, center, a, a centrifuge, you know? That's the right word. It. That's the right word. Yeah. And it spins and, yeah. Yeah, well, anyway, we all get what I'm saying. But, um, so he's like, so what they did was, is they had a tank of oil and a tank of gas in the plane. So the tank of oil would get pumped into the engine in the center, and the rotating of the engine would spread the oil outwards through the cylinder, and then when it reached the edges of the engine, it would just squirt out. So they were driving through clouds of their own oil and he said when the gas ran out or the oil ran out you were done because as soon as the oil ran out the engine would just seize or if the gas ran out the engine would stop (laughs) so you're kind of screwed in that point so he said and that's the reason why they wore the goggles because you had all the oil just flying around as you're flying through your air of you know your own oil yeah you'd always see their faces all dirty except for the whiteness of around their eyes <laughs> exactly, but they had the goggles, and then he's like, "Well, mm-hmm. think about it, you know the goggles what's going to happen after like five minutes of driving through oil? They're going to get oil all over them, so they had the scarf to wipe it off. He said the scarf also served as the for their their mouths to come over their mouths so they wouldn't breathe in the oil mm-hmm. but it's just an interesting kind of look into World War one planes and just just the thought of a rotating engine just makes me cringe <laughs> but i just thought that was really cool and I, I meant to mention that last week and i just forgot to yeah just i have a i have a hard time thinking of just how they were able to even design and come up with something like that back then and why they thought that was a to to, to design an engine that, that that spun around like that instead of it sitting still with a crankshaft out the middle well it probably it. with the technology i mean it was probably the easiest way to do it at the time you know mm-hmm as my guess, but just just thinking about it, you know, I realized how much effort they would have had to put into just flying, not killing people on top of that or trying to shoot down people, but just flying. Um, mm-hmm. And then you realize why aces were, you know, I forget how many kills it was, but it was a really low number when you think about it. You know, you're thinking, oh, World War One, they must be killing people left and right, you know, shooting people down, and I think they're just too busy flying to actually yeah, shoot anybody down. <laughs> Because um, I have a hard enough time just concentrating on just flying right now. 
And it's yeah, fly the fly the fly the plane had had different meaning back then. <laughs> exactly, and you just kind or of I'd, appreciate you know what their first solo was like. Yeah, definitely. So, did you you probably you probably saw the the movie The Aviator, right? I did. I did watch that. I watched that this summer about Howard Hughes. Yeah, yeah, that was an interesting flick. And I think that's where I first saw an engine that did like did that was in that movie. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Mark, uh, what did you do this week? Well, I uh, it was pretty straightforward this week. I met my instructor at uh, the secondary airport that I fly out of uh, Lincoln Regional, and uh, which is kind of nice because it's only ten minutes from my house and fifteen from my office. Took my uh, my youngest daughter Haley with me, and uh, she's been wanting to fly with us. So uh, we showed up at the airport, and uh, my instructor Greg was like, "Oh, hey, we have a new passenger, future student," and so he was all happy about that, and, and so. I do the pre-flight and he's talking to her and go about all our business and, you know, end up of the three of us, uh, we taxi out. And, uh, as, as I'm leaving the parking spot, I had, I had walked by what looked like a virtually brand new, uh, Cessna Citation Mustang sitting out on the ramp and kind of drooling, looking at this plane. And it's, if you've never seen one, they're, they're amazing. They're, it's a gorgeous, uh, airplane. Yeah, they are. So as, as we're starting up, they're starting up, and I'm thinking, hey, this, this is kind of cool. We're going to get to see the, the the Mustang take off. So they're going through all their, their pre-taxi stuff, and I'm ready to go. So I make my call, and I head down to the to the run-up area. And about uh, 30 seconds later, they come rolling up. And uh, it's a husband and wife, probably in their, their mid-50s. Uh, if I would have been paying attention, I would have sworn it was the – the kings i was I just gonna i was just gonna say it's the kings it was the kings <laughs> because i know that they own a they they own a mustang so it wouldn't have surprised me because they did a southbound departure and they kept going so they were probably heading back down to san diego uh, but uh uh the wife was in the right seat husband in the left seat he's doing all the flying she's doing all the you know the radios and stuff and she makes a call and says uh you know, uh, low wing archer, are you gonna? Are you ready to go, or can we squeeze by? And I'm like, no, ma'am, you go ahead and squeeze right by. And we, I stopped everything I was doing, had the brakes set, and I told my 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 instructor Greg, I'm like, um, I'm gonna stop and watch them. He's like, no problem, I want to watch them too. So we just sat there. They taxied out onto the runway and did their run up and took off out of there and he's all okay wait wait turbulence uh, practice i want you to take i want you to climb out higher than they just did and i'm laughing i'm like no that's good i'll just sit here <laughs> and let that dissipate but uh i had to do that did you yeah similar situation where uh, uh, a light jet like that climbed out in front of us and and we had to that's the first thing i thought of. i was like oh cool one of the first things i remember reading about in in my uh in one of my test prep books was about okay now where does you know where does uh, the uh, the wake turbulence fall you know and where should I be at I got to make sure and look where they took off from so I'm I'm well before that so I can be above it and uh, so I I did I did something like that several flights back but uh, it would have been cool if you caught the tail number we could have looked it up and found out who owned it I didn't even think about it and you know what I had the video camera in the plane with me my daughter was going to videotape while we were flying she totally forgot to take it out. I didn't even think about looking at the tail number. I was just like, "That's a nice Mustang." That's all I could say, you know, as it's, as it's going by. But uh, <laughs> uh, and 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 now Haley thinks that this is the kind of stuff we do all the time, and I don't want to tell her that that's a rarity at this airport. So anyway, we uh, we 
wait for the, everything to settle down and go out to the practice area. And uh, Greg tells me, you know, okay, let's practice, you know, slow flight. Okay, that's great. Let's do this. Let's do that. We do a few things. And uh, he's throwing stuff at me to, to get me ready for the, uh, you know, eventual check ride. So he's do this maneuver and I have to be able to do it and without even thinking about it. And uh, the one thing that he threw at me, which I didn't expect, and especially having Haley in the back seat, he was uh, he goes, okay, I don't feel good. We're at, we're at 2,000 feet. He goes, I don't feel good. Emergency descent. Get me to 1,000 feet right now. And all I, all I can do is hit the uh, – drop the throttle down, push the nose over. I'm like, hang on, Haley. And she white-knuckled it back there. She had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> I, I felt so bad. So we get down to 1,000 feet. I level out. Everything's fine. We're back to cruising, and we're heading back to the airport. And uh, she's like, what was that? <laughs> so I explained to her what it was, and uh, she, uh, she's like, can we not do that again? <laughs> okay, no problem. So we're back at altitude and uh, just above pattern altitude, and so we start heading back to the, uh, to the airport. I do one, uh, one touch and go. At the at this airport, and we're in the uh, crosswind, and Haley pops on and goes, um, "When are we landing? Like, why? What's the matter?" She goes, "I really want to get out now. I want to get some fresh air." I'm like, "Okay." So, Greg says, "You know what? This is a great time. Let's go ahead and do uh, go ahead and, and do a full stop on your next you know next landing." So I full stop, take her back to my truck. He jumps out, grabs his radio, and sends me on my way again. So I did. Uh, I did two more rounds in the pattern. Uh, I did a stop and go the first time, and then a full stop on the second one. So now that gives me uh, another point three, I think, is what it was PIC time. So uh, slowly but surely building up the uh, the solo PIC time. It'd be in an cool. hour soon, man. Yeah. yeah. You know what's funny is that uh, one of you guys was saying that you know, oh I think it was you, Chris. That you couldn't fly, so. I think I put it something on Twitter that you know what I think I'm gonna go out and fly. Oh, it was uh, it was Rick Felty. He says he's not flying enough lately, and I'm like, you know what? In your honor, I think I'm gonna go up Thursday and get an hour PIC time. <laughs> I saw that. The plane's still free, so I may just do that uh, because I have a meeting up at the other airport uh, for Civil Air Patrol that night. So I may just go fly for an hour, hit the meeting, and then just come home. So cool. So you're part of Cap? Yeah. Nice. I always thought about doing that too. Me too. I got uh, I got loosely well I got into it heavy because uh, Haley wants to to fly jets you know Air Force wise so I figured uh, I'll get involved in Cap and then she can get in, into Cap when she turns twelve and she is twelve now and uh, it'd be something that, that the two of us can do together um, although I'm working search and rescue side and I don't work with the cadets at all. Um, so I, I don't know how that would work out, but she's also a competitive soccer player and is practicing, you know, three, four days a week. And we usually have two games on the weekend. So she's not having a lot of success joining the unit, but uh, I still enjoy it. So uh, I'm working on all my, my different uh, non-flying ratings right now. So, but it, it's really cool to get involved and I highly recommend it. It's, it's, a, it's, it's a great aviation group to be involved in. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got, God, if you if you took, we have sixty members in our unit, including cadets, and uh, if you were to add all the years of aviation experience up, it's you know probably pushing three hundred years of experience. There's a lot of guys in there that've been flying for a long time. 
And uh, I bounced a couple questions off them, and they're like, oh, yeah, anytime you want to sit down and talk about this stuff, you know, before meeting, after meeting, he goes, hell, on a slow night, even during a meeting, we'll talk to you about it. So <laughs> it's pretty cool. Cool. Yeah, there's um, there's a, a, a nice uh, uh, cap group out there at Deer Valley, and I don't know how many missions they go on, but all the time during the summer, there's hikers getting lost, you know, out here in the desert. Yeah, we have the same thing out here in, in Northern California. We have the Sierra Nevada range, and whether they're hiking during the summertime or skiing in the winter or, you know, th- this unit flies a lot. Yeah. They, they have some interesting radio gear on, on those planes. Yeah. The, there was one of the, uh, there was uh, a Caps airplane was at that Deer Valley um, renewal thing. And um, it was, it's a fairly new 172 with, uh, with the G1000 in it. Those are nice. They're slowly but surely they're they're going to roll the the G one thousand equipped one seventy twos, and we have a one eighty two that's a steam gauge. Actually, had an opportunity to get one of the G one thousand one seventy twos, and uh, a majority vote actually said no. We like the one eighty two just because we're we're a little higher altitude. So I know that there's supposed to be some G one thousand one eighty twos coming out next year that we might have a chance at, but we'll see. Now that I th- now that I. Th- think about it, it it might have been a 182 i never looked i should look up the tail number and see if that's what it was because it to me it did in my mind now it seemed bigger than a 172 it might be there's a lot know. of cap units throughout the country that are, that fly 172 so it wouldn't surprise me but yeah. if, if you're at you are at altitude so you'll probably have a 182 or maybe a 206 yeah i wonder um speaking of airplanes with some cool gear on it. Some of the, some of those other planes that were at uh, that Deer Valley thing were like um, uh, for fish and game. So they had a they had a, like a cub and there was another. There was two airplanes there from fish and game. One of them was what was a cub with 180 horsepower in it, mind you. Wow. And it, and it had these antennas um, that just looked like TV antennas. Um, that was pointed off of the struts where the um, struts and the wings come together f- from the fuselage to the wing, the struts that hold hold the hold the uh, yeah. wings up there, and they just point straight out. But they're you know w- with all this extra drag from this radio gear, and there must have been five or six antennas, a couple of GPS antennas, a couple of radio navigational antennas on on the top of the fuselage with all this extra radio gear and and stuff like that. It said the cruising speed on it was still no more than 100 knots. <laughs> Even with a 180 horsepower engine in it. So, with the the antenna were were they radio receivers? Yeah, and and they because they have all these animals that are tagged, and they they go look they go look after them and stuff, and find out where they're migrating to, and oh, walking cool. around, and where their area is, and stuff like that. So, um, you'll see in, in in those pictures, you'll see all these antennas coming off these things, and some of their extra radio gear inside the cockpit, and they stay real real active. Um, they're on. They fly, you know, a couple hundred hours a year in the in the, in those planes. That's cool. That'd be a cool, uh, cool little side job to have. Would be a cool gig, huh? <laughs> Any, I, I didn't even think about stuff like that, you know, about as as aviation job type opportunity. But yeah, somebody's got to do it, I suppose. And uh, I just thought back to, um, I think I mentioned last week that I got to take up my two daughters flying, like on my fourth lesson or so, and uh, but. They both thoroughly enjoyed it, even pulling a few G's because we I, I did a couple of steep turns on purpose just to and I let them know ahead of time, but they, they thought it was cool like a like a roller coaster ride. So, which which I really enjoyed. Now my wife, on the other hand, wouldn't have been pleased with that. <laughs> <laughs> 
you know, I don't know I think, what I don't know what I'm going to do with her, man. I just can't get her excited about this. You know, it was funny. I was I was telling you about my friend Keith with the with the Cirrus. Uh, his wife was the same way in the very beginning. Kind of a side note, he learned in the same archer that I learned in. Um, she wanted nothing to do with it, and then once he got the Cirrus, she slowly but surely got interested, and then they, he got finally got her in, and she was okay. I'm good, and then. Um, they were flying a little bit more and he started giving her the charts. Okay. Here's the charts and moving forward and forward. So now she's, she's totally comfortable and she plans trips all the time. So there you go. Give her a job and take her mind off the, it's scary flying up there by us, by ourselves, you know, give her a job. That'll work. Yeah. It's not a bad airplane to, to fly in. I'm sure to either, yeah. <laughs> you know, you got a nice, comfortable, newer airplane. Absolutely. I, I, I need to hit the lottery or something just so I can, I can get one or get a partnership in one. Yeah, I I uh, had I found this cool website, which is actually something I thought we we may bring up on on future episodes. Is just uh, you know some some interesting uh, aviation websites that we thought might be useful to uh, our listeners. Um, but I did find a website last week, which it it must like scour the internet for websites in different places that um, uh, rent airplanes. So you'd put you'd put in there what kind of airplane you wanted to rent or so forth, and then and then it would bring up, you know, you could you could search by price or type of airplane or whatever. And speaking of Cirrus, like the cheapest one I ever saw previous tonight to that guy <laughs> mentioning what he did on Twitter, but uh, was between two and three hundred dollars an hour. Yeah, me too. I don't know where you find one hundred and thirty an hour. Who knows? <laughs> I, the only thing I can think of is if if the plane's already paid for and I, he's not out to make a make a fortune. I mean that that would be the only thing that I could think of. That he's mm-hmm. something that, uh, that low of a rate. Yeah, same here. The members of the In the Pattern podcast are participating as private individuals. Their comments do not necessarily reflect the views of the various organizations they work with, the instructors they learn from, or the flight schools they attend. Remember, these guys are student pilots, so anything you hear on this podcast that sounds like advice on an aircraft operation is obviously from the perspective of student pilot. You should always consider your own situation, consult your instructor, Remember your training and fly the airplane. Cleared for the option. So, what are we on to now? Well, I guess we can kind of continue our discussion on our uh, training. Oh, the pattern. Well, the pattern emergency procedures. Yes. I can't remember how to fly the pattern. (laughs) It's a damn shame. (laughs) You need to do some of that mental pattern work in your head. I know, I know. The only, th- only thing I, I remember, we talked about this briefly a little bit about the pattern, and and uh, I'd asked you guys because um, I talked to my my friend Dean and, and told him how how um, Jackie was was having me fly the pattern, and I was saying I was staying at traffic pattern altitude, and, and then I would start to descend. So I always felt that, and, and so to give you an example, at Deer Valley. Uh, traffic pattern altitude is uh, 2,500 feet. I think uh, our, el- our airport's around 14, 1,500, something like that. So yeah, it's pretty standard, right? 1,000 feet AGL? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So uh, we'd be at uh, 2,500 until I turned base. And so I always felt like it, it gets very busy from base to final. You know, you're adjusting flaps, you're adjusting uh, um, throttle. Um, and, and all at the same time, you're trying to lose altitude, and then quickly you're going to make your turn to final. And then I always felt like I'm diving towards the deck instead of making a longer, gradual descent. Well, and one of the other things is that 
I fly a pretty tight pattern. And and that's just the way she was taught, and that's the way my buddy Dean was taught. You know, you fly a pretty tight pattern. We're we're out there with these guys from from uh, some of the other flight schools, and these guys are going to go on to get jobs in in uh, in one of the Chinese airlines. And uh, the Transpac students they fly 747 type patterns because I guess that's the way they're being trained because that's what they're going to you know they're going to be flying big jets someday. So it's they're kind of a pain in the neck, but once in a while the you know, controller of the tower will uh, let you slip in in front of them because there's so many miles out still making their turn. But uh, I always fly real tight because, you know, you always want to have the altitude and, uh, and, and be able to, you know, take care of business if you have some sort of engine issue. So I guess that's one of the reasons why she has us at that altitude for so long. Has, so How about you guys? What are the, uh, what are the uh, foreign students, what are they training in? Same thing as I am. They're in the exact same archer. Uh, Matter of fact, they almost look look alike. I think my they're white with they're white and blue Archer threes. And the reason I ask is I've heard I've heard stories of if you're in a high wing, they'll usually fly a larger pattern just because of you know the wings in the way when you're making that turn. Hmm. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> and and I say that because I'm getting um, Tony, my instructor, when I started at Bread Aviation, and then uh, Yusman, who's uh, my instructor now. They're teaching two different things. And they teach from the same school. Yes, in in that respect. Isn't that interesting? And that's part of my tirade later, but... (laughs) um, I'll just bring it now. Well, it's just that, like, when Tony was teaching me the pattern, uh, it eventually got to the point where he was like, you know what, stop looking at the damn runway. He's like, just stop. He's like, pick a point ahead and follow that. He's like, you don't need to look at the runway. The runway is there. You need to glance over, make sure you're staying parallel... But that's about it. You know, you make your turn to base. Um, well, let me step back a second. Um, you know, you hit the numbers, pull the power back to 1,500, drop a notch of flaps, you're below 110, and start descending. And then you, when you hit, like, you know, like 800 feet, between 9 and 800 feet, um, I guess I should state the fact that pretty much sea level is my airport. Um, <laughs> just so you guys don't get too confused, you know. All your all your high altitude craziness. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> it's it sucks having to take off with the oxygen already on. <laughs> so I mean, we fly our patterns at a thousand feet on the altimeter. So between eight eight, eight nine hundred feet, you know, I'll make our turn to base, and um, you know, at that point, I'll I'll then look over the runway and kind of judge my height. You know, am I too high? Am I too low? Um, and also during that turn to base is when I kind of catch the 80 knots that I'm looking for. Um, as soon as I hit base, you know, I'm judging my high or low, I'm throwing in my next notch of flaps and, um, occasionally looking at the runway very seldom just to know when to turn final. And then I start turning final, start hitting 70 knots. And then once the runway starts coming into view on the front, that's when I start to actually focus on it. You know, and at that point, I'm dropping the last notch of flaps in, trying to look for 65 knots, and then basically, right as I hit the the right as I come up over the runway is when I'm starting. To, is when I pull the power, and then just kind of let it settle into ground effect. Now, this last lesson was so rough for me because Usman is is basically has a whole different way of doing it, and it's it's really hard for me to kind of figure out what he wants versus what Tony wants because. Last lesson, I was getting a lot of, you never look at the runway. 
you should always be looking at the runway. And he's like, lean forward, look in front of the wing. He's like, constantly, he's asking me, where's the runway? I'm like, it's back there. He's like, look at it. And I'm like, but I'm not, but Tony said, but what? <laughs> you know, and it's kind of this. That's got to be so frustrating. It's, it's frustrating. It's really frustrating. And at one point he was like, yeah, it's been two weeks. He's like kind of rusty, aren't you? And I'm sitting there thinking, I don't think that's it. It's two weeks. No, no. And it's, it's really, it's not like his fault. It's just the, the difficulty of moving from one instructor to another. And this is the biggest jump I've had so far, even having a couple other instructors. Um, I'd really have issue with this because it's, as you've mentioned, money, right? Yes. It's too expensive to be wasting money. Uh, you feel it's a waste, right? Because he's he's ha- he's contradicting one an instructor that his is his colleague, is his coworker, you know. And I understand they all didn't get taught from the same person, and the, and there might be no specific standard that your uh, flight instruction company has for every procedure, but they were on some similar page. And if you told them, well, hey, this is what Tony said to do, or this is what Usman said to do. That they would say, oh, okay, I understand, you know, instead of feeling like you're just wasting money because now you got to try and learn two different methods and then remember the next time you're up with them, oh, he likes it this way or this guy likes it that way. Yeah, and it's 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 been – it was a fairly frustrating lesson because um, there was a lot of that. Sorry, sorry, to, sorry to jump in on your, uh, on your tyrant there. <laughs> no, no, it, it's true though. I mean I, it's – I feel you though. It, it's been um, – like you know, before it was like I'd have when I when I switched to to the different flight school. Um, now, granted, I had been off for five months, so there was a definitive. It's been a while. Um, I was at a new airport, and you know, it, it was there was a lot of different things going on there. So you know, I expected that to happen, and so yeah, there was a learning curve figuring out what Tony wanted, but it wasn't that much different than what Matt had wanted before. Um, and then when I did my my one flight with one of the other CFIs, Adam, I did my pre-solo kind of check thing with him. That wasn't much different either. I mean, there's a few things, you know, he, he brought some interesting things to think about and, you know, brought up some other things that maybe Tony hadn't because, yeah, I mean, Tony may get used to some of the things that I'm doing. And, and there is a, you know, there is a usefulness to having a couple different instructors because you get a couple different views of things. But um, since Tony left and I got switched to Usman, it's just been... Um, like when I did my solo lesson, there's a lot of, oh, well, you should write this down and you keep a kneeboard with you and have a piece of paper. So you can write the ATIS down and you can write all kinds of stuff down like that. And there's a few other things during the maneuvers, you know, he kind of pointed out and it was okay. But now that I, like I'm actually officially flying with him and going through the pattern, it was just really difficult because it, just the pattern was so different. And now I need to think about looking at the runway constantly, which is really weird because the last thing I feel like I want to be doing when I'm turning is leaning forward and looking at the runway because it kind of screws with my turn. And because I'm moving, my hands are moving and then that moves the plane and then it just kind of gets iffy, I should say. Um, I don't know. I don't like, I don't know if I like moving that much in the plane in, in the middle of doing something. I don't, I don't, I don't know how you guys are, are really, well, the way that the way that I was always taught is you want to keep the runway in sight, um, mostly because if if something goes wrong, um, you need to know where it's at and how to get there. Um, but uh, I would say find what's comfortable to you. Um, personally, I want to know where the runway is. I mean, I, in my pattern, my my personal patterns, the two airports that I fly at, I know where to be and I know where the runway's at. But I, you know, when I'm making my my turn from from downwind to base, 
I'm looking for the 45 off the end of the runway. So I'm, I'm constantly kind of having the runway in sight, whether it's in my, my periphery. Um, when I'm in the downwind, I've actually, uh, at, at both airports, I have some visual cues out there that I kind of line up on. So I, I know where my, my downwind path should be. But then I'm looking back, okay, now I'm, okay, I'm on the 45. Now I'm going to make my turn to base. Um, so my personal opinion, and, and you know, maybe talk to a, a DPE if you have access to one right there. Um, see what they say. Yeah, and I mean, it's not like, I don't know, I guess to me, it's like I know the runway's there. I know where I am in relation to the runway, the runway at this point, based on, you know, kind of looking outside, seeing when things are. And I can quickly glance at the, the DG and know, okay, well... I'm coming up on where I should be on the downwind, and then I can level out and, and verify that. Because um, it's probably easier for you guys, infinitely easier for you guys, to keep the runway in sight than it is for me in a high wing. Because it's really, that, that wing is there. <laughs> I mean, it is in the middle of the, it's blocking the entire runway for me. You know what? Uh, what's nice about the archer I, uh, I'm in, um, on, the, uh, on the tip of the wing, there's uh, a stripe as part of the paint job, you know, and I can put that stripe uh, right parallel with the runway as I'm as I'm flying on the downwind, you know, and and keep level, and then I can use that as some sort of like marker, and then I know I can kind of use the tip of that wing and 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 the edge of the runway and say, okay, I'm at a 45 uh, past the edge of the runway, time to make my turn. Yes, which is uh, it's kind of a nice advantage, I think. Yeah, see, the wing does absolutely nothing for me in any of this. Um, I mean, I guess the sh- strut doesn't really do anything, at least for turn and base. The, the, having the wing strut there is, is good for judging, I guess, distance from the runway, but that's about it. But yeah, it's just, I don't know, it's awkward for me, like, in the turn to downwind and the turn to base, trying to look at the runway, because I have to lean so far forward to look around the wing that it's just kind of uncomfortable. And then, while I, like I said before, while I'm doing that... I, you know, I'll end up moving the yoke without really realizing it because I'm trying so hard to like move um, to see. So I don't know. It's just been interesting. See, see that gets me back to where my my comment was about high wings versus low wings. That'll that a high wing will t- usually tend to fly a little farther out on their downwind, little little farther spacing, um, and tend to go maybe a little farther downwind just because you're not turning. I mean, I I, I probably do. I mean, it's supposed to be the two minute turn uh, type deal or but I, I'm more like a 30-degree turn when I'm making my turns. And I know you can't do that in a 172 and still keep sight of the runway. So You can't even do a 20-degree uh, turn and keep sight of the runway. Yeah, so that's where I was getting at that is like I, I was just curious if maybe you flew a little bigger pattern just so when you make your turn that you can still kind of see the runway under your wingtip there. Um, so, but that's, that's where I was going. So Well, not really because when I was further out um, – because the, the, the last lesson, I was actually really far out a couple times, and I, I will agree, I was I was far out, and it was kind of a trying to figure out what was going on there. And realistically, it's because the first time he told me to do a crosswind, he's like, "Well, you're gonna level out for crosswind," and I was sitting there thinking, "Well, no," because every time I do that, I end up too far out. Like I need to just keep that turn, you know, because I'm flying so fast at this point. I need to in order to to make the downwind as far away as I need to. So I ended up further out, and even being an extra—I mean, at one point I was an—I was an extra half a mile further away than I should have been. I still cannot see the runway when I turn base. Yeah, as soon as you dip that wing, you're done, huh? Any more than ten, 
15 max, I mean, you're losing it. Unless you're really, really close. <laughs> but if you're if you're close enough for the wing to not be in the way, you're probably too, too close. close. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're over the runway, so... So are you going to be staying with this guy now, or... You still going to be flip flopping back to the to the other guy? No, Tony. I'm I'm with this guy now. Tony Tony doesn't work at the flight school anymore. Okay. So all right. So this is the guy Usman. You said right? Yes. And th- so this is the guy who um uh, soloed you, right? This is the guy who soloed me. Yes. Okay. So now you got to learn his style. Yeah. So I think I didn't really get a chance because it was like I said I had a family thing to go to and it was kind of um it, I didn't have enough time to really sit down and talk to him. So I think the next time I go I'm gonna like. Um, take a second beforehand and kind of go over what are you really looking for? You know, this is why, like, last lesson, this is my thoughts on on things and kind of just trying to figure out what he wants so I know in advance so I'm not, like, surprised, like, doing something and he's like, oh, you should do this. And kind of, like, start a discussion with him over the whole thing because it was just frustrating in the plane to be doing something I thought was right and then he's kind of like, well, what are you doing here? And, you know. Yeah, I agree. Good idea to... Rather discuss it on the ground than than uh, be burning fuel and and uh, paying for it up there. Exactly. So that's my plan right now. We'll, we'll see how it goes. Um, granted, I don't know when I'll be back, <laughs> which sucks. But um, I mean, it was a good lesson. I learned a lot. It was just it was just frustrating for those reasons. Mm-hmm. Well, um, as as far as uh, we talked about emergency uh, descents. Um, I remember my instructor doing the first one, and I wasn't ready for it, and it was kind of crazy. And then, and then she let me do one, and uh, I liked it. It was more fun when I had control of the airplane. And then, yeah, every once in a while, we'll be in the plane, and uh, she'll just blurt out, you know, uh, like a plane at twelve o'clock, emergency descent, and it's fun. You just act it out, you know, cut 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 the power and and uh, dive dive down and lose five hundred feet or so, and five, or a thousand feet if you hold it for two seconds. Get down there and clean it, clean it back up, and give it the power, and get back up to altitude. And it's a lot of fun. I like doing that. I, I really enjoyed doing the slips. The the la- one of my last uh, flights. That was that was a lot of fun. I, I'd like to see it from the outside. I got to get someone to uh, to video it for me because I think they look really cool from from a you know third party perspective. I, I can imagine that they do. But um, the emergency descent. I I don't think we ever. Formally have done that. I probably have, just in doing slips and you know pulling power, dropping flaps, and just dropping like a rock. But like, I don't know. I don't think I've ever formally done that. So do you want to like go over what what you're doing there? Because I've heard both of you talk about it. Yeah. Well, so so pretty much it's like what would you do in in the situation where you just noticed uh, an airplane, you know, at twelve o'clock straight off your nose, and uh, he's coming straight at you. What would you do? And uh, turn right. Practice and yeah, <laughs> turn right. Have them turn right. Well, it, what's the yeah? What's what's the what's the rule of thumb if you can remember uh, reading it in your book? If you got uh, two airplanes at the same altitude, uh, nose to nose, what's the correct procedure? Is it for you for both of you to turn right? Yeah. But uh, yeah, yeah, but as long it'd be nice if uh, if they if each of you saw each other. So yeah, but what if I each of it, you go into an emergency descent? I. Yeah, then you're really picking up speed to smash into each other, aren't you? <laughs> so, yeah, you just uh, pull the power back to pretty much idle and, and push the nose forward, and you drop about 500 feet a second, <laughs> roughly. No no flaps or slip or anything like that? Just No. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. You just drop down and you you push it forward until you go to the top of the green arc. Okay. Mm-hmm. Hold it, hold it there until you get to your you know within a hundred feet of your desired altitude, and then you pull you know you gently pull back, level back out, and then get back into into the power again. You can lose so much altitude so quickly. Really quick. I've I've we never done that. We started it around uh, five or six thousand um, indicated, uh, so about four thousand feet AGL, something like that. And you know, if you want to, you could drop down to five hundred feet AGL in about five seconds. Wow! It's, it 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 can just go by so quick. Of course, at that point, you're probably uh, into that yellow arc. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, you can get to the top of the green arc very very quick uh, in doing that maneuver. Pretty fun. Cool. I'll have to uh, bring that up. Then you pull up, roll inverted, and uh, continue the roll and do a little barrel roll. It's all kinds of fun. Because <laughs> then you got the, you got the airspeed on your side. <laughs> I honestly, I honestly cannot wait to do acro. <laughs> yeah, I got There's a, a nice place, I guess, out in uh, I think it's out in Chandler or somewhere that uh, that has some decathlons and and they teach that out there. I, I want to go out there just. If nothing else, after I get my license to just get the uh, spin training and unusual attitude recovery, stuff like that. I want to do it all. Mm-hmm. Upset recovery, spin training, unusual attitudes, acro, you name it, I want to do it. That's my theory. Also, they have one of those uh, uh, Top Gun schools out there, too, where uh, um, you go up and you, you get to you get to uh, chase and shoot people down. They have the uh, simulated guns in there with... The, lasers on them or something like that so you can shoot people down and uh i guess uh if you get a if you get an actual shot on the person that their smoke comes on so that's how you can tell nice yeah it's real expensive though very (laughs) expensive i can imagine yeah i looked it up it's not something i'll be doing unless i save my money for a whole year so um one of the things we didn't really talk about with the maneuvers last week that um kind of snuck up on me and gave me some trouble was um, emergency, pretty much just emergency landings. I had... Oh. What? Why do you say it? Oh. But, no, so, so like your instructor goes, you know, if the engine out, if the engine went out right now, where are you looking? Yeah, he just goes, pulls the throttle, says your engine's gone. And, you know, I knew the procedure and best glide, you know, first thing you do, look for a field mm-hmm. and then you go through your little checklist. And, you know, I'm okay with the, the best glide uh, initially. I found that there was uh, there was one time with, with Tony, he pulled it. And so I hit the best glide, and I'm looking for a field. I am really bad at picking a field. Uh, I don't know if it's... <laughs> I don't know if it's the in, it, just indecisiveness, or if it's I'm not used to the sight picture on how big a field should be. But I just... I'm looking at them all, and I'm like, none of these look good. And I'm over the eastern shore of Maryland. There's a lot of freaking fields there. <laughs> so, I don't know. I just, I, I was, it takes me a couple, I mean, it takes me too long to pick a field when there are apparently plenty of options. Yeah, you're like, I don't know, which one you like? <laughs> Man, out here in Arizona, everything's flat. Everything's a field. And rock solid. Yeah. Yeah, the only thing I'd be worried about is hitting large rocks or cactus or whatever. But you know, the thing about it too is is every street is straight. Um, you, there, it is pretty much impossible to get lost in Phoenix. It's just laid out like a grid. Every major street's one mile apart, so it's just it, every street is square. So you just pick a 
pick pick one with the least amount of traffic and head towards it unless you can find something better. See, I have too many trees out here, which is my problem because it's a field surrounded by yeah. trees. Or, and Mark, you got mountains. Well, actually, where where I'm flying at, there's it's within a valley, so there's a lot of flat areas. So oh, okay, yeah, it's kind of like where you're at, um, except where the primary airport is at 1,500 feet. I, I fly five minutes west, and I'm and I'm at like 115 feet of elevation. Mm. So it goes from foothills to valley really quick. Mm. Yeah, see, I mean, it's over the eastern shore of Maryland. It's um, primarily flat because we're still we're east of the Mississippi. Uh, not Mississippi. What the hell am I talking about? We're east of the Ab- <laughs> we're east. We are east of the Mississippi. We're east of the Appalachians at that, play, at that point. Um, so the Appalachian Mountains are way over, you know, a good maybe thirty fifty miles west of where I am. So it's just flat because I'm on the other side of the bay on the coast of the Atlantic Ocean. So there's just no hills there. Um, so it's not anything like that. And there's a lot of fields. Um, it's just all the fields are surrounded by trees and a lot of them have power lines in front of them. And I, you know, I know that. So I look at a field and I'm like, that'd be perfect, but there's a line of power lines in front of it. (laughs) And I'm thinking that probably wouldn't be a good idea. Nope. And they're, they're probably hard to see. They are, which is why until, until you're down to that altitude where now you got a real tough decision to make. Exactly. Now the good thing is there's generally always another field that you could go to. Because um, there's so many there, it's just that you know the instructor's looking for a specific field for you to basically get down to that field and ensure a landing. But I don't know. I'm just ha- I have a really hard time picking a field, and I think some of it's um, just I'm not used to saying that field is big enough for me to land on because they all look too small to me. But the other thing I had was once I realized that I had a hard time picking a field. We need to pull the power. That's the first thing I'd think of. So instead of immediately going to best glide, I would immediately start picking a field, which kind of became a problem. So I've just notoriously so far had trouble with it until the pre-solo check. For some reason, I just did it perfectly, which was good because it was the pre-solo check with the other flight instructors. So I, you know, (laughs) glad. (laughs) But um, and then he pulled the power a couple times in the pattern too, and I made it all the times there, um, which kind of made me feel a little better about it. But um, it's still something that just kind of, I know I'm going to be doing a lot when it comes time to reviewing for the the check ride. I've never had my instructor actually pull the power yet. I know it's coming, but uh, <laughs> as of yet, it hasn't happened. I, I'm always nervous. My, my most nervous is obviously the first few seconds of climb out where you know you you know that you don't have enough runway to put it back down. And uh, you don't have very much airspeed. And all I have in front of me is two small hills, two small mountains. And there's a gap in between them. And, uh, oh, that's when I think, John, you, met, you mentioned this um, a while back uh, on Twitter that you said, uh, you said uh, oh, your, uh, your instructor's got a seaplane rating. Yeah. Because there's a, there's a canal over to the left. And we were talking about where we'd put I always said, I told her, I said, this is where I'd hate to lose power the most because – your options are so slim with, you know, two mountains on each side of it. And they're not mountains, they're just hills. And it's just all rough road and, you know, rough uh, terrain ahead of you. Yeah. And she goes, and then there's the canal over to the left, but, uh, and which is fine. I have my seaplane rating, but our, our plane's not equipped with floats. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, see, I have, oh. I have the same thing where if you're on, um, 
if you're on one five coming out of, of my airport, it's uh, at the end of the runway is about 50 feet. And then it's a, it's a water <laughs> that uh, oh, yeah. empties out into the Chesapeake Bay. So um, if you lose power there, you're, you're immediately turning to the right to make sure that you don't go into the trees on the other side of the water there or the marina. Which is actually where my dad keeps his boat, so probably the last thing I want to do is hit my dad's boat. But um, <laughs> um, essentially, y- your option is to turn a slight right and land in the water. That would be a bad day. Luckily, it's only uh, three to six feet deep there. So, oh, that wouldn't be so bad. Yeah. The bay only gets, is generally, if you're not in the channel, nine feet or less. So it's actually is there, fairly shallow. Is there, is there any seaplane bases by you? You know, I honestly don't know. Um, the airport I'm at, the um, there's a big Lockheed Martin building um, next to it, and they used to build seaplanes there, um, but that was 30 years ago, 40 years ago. Um, oh. I don't know any. There's at least none around my airport that I know of. Maybe on that the eastern noticed. shore, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure there's some around somewhere. That'd be fun. I I saw I was watching a, a YouTube video this week of of this guy um, messing around in, in his plane. He had one of those uh, lakes. Um, I'm sorry, that's the name of the plane. It's a, it's a lake. Um, and he uh, he was just flying it up and down this canal, uh, just like you know we have a canal out here. It's owned by Salt River Project, who who runs the electricity. And um, not only would they be pissed, I imagine I'd go to jail. Uh, but he was he was uh, doing touch and goes off of this uh, off of this canal and right in front of a bunch of workers from whoever you know whatever company was there that was uh, attached to that canal. I imagine it was an electrical company too. But yeah, and they were waving at him and stuff like that, and he was floating by, and they were all talking to him and stuff. But that'd be pretty cool. He had like it was like a nine mile straight, so he was just t- you know touching down, taking back off, touching down, taking back off for like several miles just doing that over and over and over again. That's one way to stay current, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, when I was down at, um, in Florida two weekends ago, I, um, I was looking up the uh, airport around there because I was thinking, you know, maybe if I came down and, and I had my license, I could get checked out, you know, on a plane down there or something because I'll probably go down to see my girlfriend's mom enough that it'll be worth it. And uh, so I was looking at the airport, and it turns out that there's a flight school that does... Um, seaplane ratings there cool and ah. and they had it it was like uh it was twelve hundred dollars for the minimum to do it so you could probably double that but um i was thinking man that's not bad save up my money i have to get my private just go down there for a weekend you know or a little longer hoping it's you know if it's good weather and and just uh get a seaplane rating yeah i i would like that it sounds like a lot of fun i i just you know i love that uh I love that little LSA that's coming out. Um, icon? The uh, Icon. Yeah. I, ever since the first day I saw that, I was like, yes, I want the Icon. And for the money, $135,000, of all the new airplanes that you could buy, that's it, it, that would be within that dollar range. I just, for some reason, I, that's the one that I'd be going with. I don't know why. It just, it looks, but. Uh, it's a pretty sweet looking airplane up close, too. Because um, yeah. they had a whole ten at Oshkosh and. Man, it was uh, mm-hmm. it was pretty cool. But you look in that thing, and it looks like a car. It does not look like an airplane inside. Which was which was his whole point of that interior yeah. is to make it as comfortable to the non-pilot as possible to get all these new you know people who aren't pilots yet into that into that airplane and make them feel comfortable already because the gauges and just all the the throttle you know and everything just looks normal to you. 
Yeah. Well, not the throttle, of course, because it's not in your foot, but it would be like where the console shifter would be, at least. But yeah, that that looks like a ton of fun. I've seen several videos of it uh, on the water, and it just looks like a blast. Mm-hmm. Well, something else I, I, I uh, just thought about um, that I was going to bring up is that I, I told you I had a um, <laughs> an aborted takeoff uh, early on in my in my training. I think it was either like my fifth or sixth lesson. Um, I've got a video I put up on it on, on YouTube. But, uh, you know, started taking off down the runway and lights, camera, action, you know, gave it the beans. And here we go. We're going down the runway and I'm not seeing any airspeed on the airspeed indicator. And we're hauling. At this point, I'm thinking we got to be close to takeoff speed or rotation speed. And, and, and there's still nothing. I'm like, you know, I've got no airspeed. I got no airspeed. And she's like, okay, shut it down. So I pull it back to idle and. We get on the brakes and stuff. It takes a long time to stop, so I can't imagine what speed we were at. But we told the tower we we were aborting takeoff, and they asked if anything was wrong. We said no, we got it. We just we just need to exit the runway. So we exited the runway and and pulled over. And she goes, uh, "Did you get the pedo tube pedo tube cover off?" <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, "No, I'm pretty sure it's still there." <laughs> and of course, it was. Oops. Uh, oh man. Isn't that on you know, my, it is, and you know what? My first two or three lessons, that pedo tube cover wasn't even on the plane. They, she didn't know where it was. If somebody took it off and put it in their pocket and walked off with it accidentally, and it, so I wasn't used to looking for it. And I don't even know how you can miss it because when I, you, you know, Mark, when you sump the fuel, yeah, it's right, right there. there. Yep. I don't know how you miss this like two foot red streamer hanging, you know, eight inches from your arm. Yep, right, right. Off the, right under the left wing, right there. Hello. You know, apparently I missed it. That's a good point uh, that I just thought of. Um, you guys have to get really down there to sump the fuel, don't you? Yeah, you're on your knees. It's not too bad, actually. See, I'm only my knees to do it on under the under the engine, um, but everything else I can just stand there under the wing and do it. Um, in mm-hmm. addition to the fact that the pedo cover, you actually have to walk by to get to the plane. So mm-hmm. if you miss it, it's kind of like. You almost hit your head on it. <laughs> I haven't, I haven't missed it since, and I don't think I'll miss it again. That's for sure. I took a lot of static for it uh, on my YouTube video. Now, now, my my question there, when when I thought about it, is what was your radio call? Because um, you know, I don't necessarily think that I would know what to say in that situation. Oh, I, I we just called and, and said, Dear Valley Tower, we're boarding takeoff. It said, Dear Valley Tower, 4 Mike Alpha, we're aborting takeoff. And they said, Roger, 4 Mike Alpha, do you need any assistance? No, we're fine. We just need to exit the runway. Okay. It was pretty uneventful, you know. And, uh, you know, the plane would have flown, obviously, but not knowing how fast you're going is sometimes an issue. Yeah, yeah, that would be an issue, (laughs) especially on landing. Yeah, it gets kind of important. I I got the GPS to tell me. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I just asked that because, you know, there's a few situations that I keep finding myself in where I don't necessarily know what to say on the radio because I'm getting pretty good at it. But um, there's one situation where I was in the I was in the pattern and I was on downwind. And uh, this is when a bunch of the E-10s were coming in and they were they were coming into land. And so I was getting all kinds of like short finals or extend your downwind. We'll call your base, all that kind of stuff. You know, it's normal, normal stuff. But I heard them say something and I thought they said my tail number and it was for cleared for the option. Or cleared to land or something like that. So I called the tower and I'm like, all right, uh, 172 Romeo Hotel, clear to land. Or clear to land, 172 Romeo Hotel, whatever. And um, 
the tower comes on. They're like, uh, Two Army Hotel, that call was not for you. And hmm. I was like, crap. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I hit the button, and I literally, I hit the button, and I sat there for a second. I was like, uh, Two Army Hotel, sorry. And I clicked it. Because, like I, I, like, I, you know, immediately clicked it thinking, you know, I need to respond right now. But then when I clicked it, I thought, wait a minute. I don't really know what to say there. <laughs> and then as, as I was kind of running through what I would do in an aborted takeoff, I kind of thought the same thing. Like, I don't know. What would I, what would that call be? There's, I've noticed, well, especially a lot of the, uh, a lot of the um, school's airplanes, their tail numbers are very similar. So I imagine it's it's got to be something for them to uh, really keep an ear out for exactly who's calling for who. Yeah. And then on top of that, all the broken English of the Chinese students. I mean, it's, it makes it that much more interesting. Yeah. So, cool. I guess we'll uh, start to wrap it up here. Do um, you guys have any uh, shout-outs? Yeah, I do. Um, I'd like to give some shout-outs to Mike Flies. And Julie will fly and M0A, some great aviators out there. Thanks, guys, for the support and and uh, all the uh, tweets and retweets about me this uh, this past week. It's awesome. I appreciate it. A couple of guys that uh, also give me a lot of support that uh, is 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 or they are um, RC pilots. Um, some guys I've, I've followed for quite a while. But uh, if you're into RC airplanes, you got to follow Lipo Pilot and uh, Pink Yak RC. Lipo Pilot's been been doing a uh, a weekly online Monday live show showing you how he's building his airplanes and stuff and you can find him at uh, lipopilot.com some good stuff really good stuff thanks guys cool I have a few shout outs um, first of all I'll just shout out to uh, Max Flight from uh, Airplane Geeks uh, for giving us a pretty cool shout out on Twitter you know we like, we like free advertising here I also just say if you're not listening to them uh, the Airplane Geeks you should because they are, uh, it's pretty, not, not quite general aviation all the time. Uh, at least there's Rob Mark on there for the, the general <laughs> aviation side. But uh, pretty much a wide range of aviation topics from uh, airlines to general aviation to military to Australia. Um, just a cool podcast. Uh, I'd also like to shout out to um, Connecting Pilots for giving us a, a good shout out last week. Um, and just for what he's doing in the aviation community, it's a pretty cool uh, site that has a lot of uh, just just a way to get in touch with other aviators um, in social media and kind of communicate. So appreciate what they're doing there. I think it's uh, connectingpilots.com and uh, pretty much everyone else on Twitter and Facebook and everything for their their support of the, the podcast. I, I'm just amazed each week on uh, how the downloads are growing and. And just the people who keep retweeting us and actually listen and give us feedback and say, oh, we liked the episode. Uh, it's just good to hear that people actually listen and like it. So um, I'd like to thank you all and uh, keep giving us feedback. We enjoy it. Uh, if you like the podcast, have something to add. Or um, I'd also like to make a mention that uh, it's it's good to have feedback as, as student pilots and kind of hear the, the community give us some good information to, to think about and consult our, our CFI with. Yeah, if you have any have any uh, questions about... Uh Anything specific in our in our flight training versus uh, what you've done or what you're going through, we'd be glad to hear that too. Yeah. So, um, my shoutouts any any shoutouts, Mark? Well, this week I actually I the only shoutouts that I can think of off the top of my head would be to uh, Rick Felty. He's actually uh, helped me out behind the scenes here a little bit, uh, and I really appreciate that. Too many names to name again. Thank you, everybody on Twitter, on Facebook, uh, 
my personal friends that uh, all the the kind words that I've received this week, uh, the great suggestions that I've received, uh, and to, to all of our followers. Um, we really appreciate it, and please do give us feedback. Let us know if you like what we're doing, you don't like what we're doing, something you specifically want us to talk about or talk to our instructors about. Um, we have uh, plans for future episodes uh, to have either our CFIs or more of the public CFIs, if we can get them on. Uh, maybe we can ask them questions that you uh, you want to know. So if you have something you want to know or something you want us to talk about, just give us a shout and uh, let us know. Cool. Um, that kind of leads us into um, how you can reach us. You can reach In The Pattern Podcast at InThePatternPodcast.com. Um, you can also reach us on Twitter as In The Pattern. Search iTunes for In The Pattern. We also have a My Transponder group called In The Pattern as well. So um, you can reach us through any of those outlets or individually. You can reach me at john at inthepatternpodcast.com, on Twitter as Pilot Conway, and also on my transponder as Pilot Conway. Chris? Yeah, you can uh, find me at chris at inthepatternpodcast.com as well. On Twitter at uh, C-H-O-L-U-B-A-Z, that's C-H-O-L-U-B-A-Z, and uh, my transponder is also C-H-O-L-U-B-A-Z. And Mark? Yeah, you can find me at mark at inthepatternpodcast.com, studentpilotmark on Twitter. And M. Lacoste on my transponder. Give us a shout. Cool. And lastly, uh, just because we can and because Google is awesome, you can also call us if you'd like. Leave a voicemail. Uh, I'm sure we could probably fit it in the playing back in the show or something like that. Uh, at 707-PCAST-01. That's 707-PAPA-CHARLIE-ALPHA-SIERRA-TANGO-01. So that about wraps up this episode of In the Pattern Podcast. I'd like to thank you all for listening. Until next time, make left traffic. You're cleared for the option. Zoom. Let's uh let's let's not uh pause so much right there. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> it's Brain fart. what happens happens when I'm trying to read and talk at the same time. I was gonna say so Mark, uh what uh, what did uh, uh, uh let's try that again. <laughs> I just chugged a big gob of that line in Kugels is probably what's going on right now. I'm I'm sitting here fixing a computer while we're talking. <laughs> That's funny. It's <laughs> cool. Multitasking. Yeah. I told her I'd have it done for her in the morning. Sorry, I'm opening up a can of uh whoop ass. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> opening up this can of whoop ass and my and my can opener sucks.